In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Last week, we introduced you to our critique of the purpose-driven church. And this, tonight, is going to be another 25 minutes of purpose. We are going to lay out for you our specific problems with the purpose-driven church model, tonight on Sinners and Saints. Hi, this is Pastor Bureau of Grace Evangelical Church in Torrance. We are a new Reformed church serving all of South Bay. As a member of the United Reformed Churches of North America, Grace Evangelical Church emphasizes the preaching of the gospel, weekly administration of the Lord's Supper, catechism of our children, and emphasis on the singing of the Psalms, all in a family-friendly atmosphere. Come, worship with us. You can reach us at area code 310-782-7019. You're listening to Sinners and Saints on 99.5 FM, KKLA. Hi, this is Reverend John Sautel, pastor of Congregational Life and Outreach at First United Reformed Church of Chino. We are a Protestant, Bible-based, family-oriented church committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are located just off the 60 Freeway at Mountain Avenue in Chino. We worship at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m. every Sunday. If you'd like more information about our church, give us a call at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. We welcome you tonight to Sinners and Saints. I'm Adam Kalustian with John Sautel and Moses Jambazian. We're pastors of local United Reformed Churches, and we want to get right into it. What is our problem with the purpose-driven church model? And the first thing that we see in their evangelistic strategy makes us sick, and that is they target specific socioeconomic groups in order to make their ministry effective. Yeah, basically what this does is to try to somehow tailor the gospel for a particular group, but it's usually not the gospel that's being tailored, but rather trying to find out what this group really wants and therefore appealing to their fallen nature's natural urges. It is to try to get for them something that they are willing to bite onto or to buy. And the trouble with this is, of course, then you have to keep on serving them the same item. And so they never wind up being grafted into the body, but rather they wind up as this isolated cell that somehow has the name of your church on them, but they are not really in the church. Well, what cracks me up about it, too, is the whole justification that is used for this. First of all, it's a very shallow philosophy which says, well, you have to target because, after all, junior hires want something different than high schoolers, and college graduates look at the world differently than high school graduates, and parents with families want something different than their teenagers. Well, I mean, that is so self-evident that hardly rises to the level of a justification. It's also not even true because junior hires are still looking at dad's car and saying, I want that kind of car when I'm old enough to drive. And the high schoolers are looking and saying, I want these things. And so, yes, you might have some immediate needs that are different, but you are also still targeted towards a general goal. And so 
What we need to do is say, yes, we have to preach the one gospel that it does fit every single person. But what's so rich about the purpose-driven church model is the biblical justification, supposed biblical justifications given for targeting, because after all, this is what Jesus and the apostles did, right? (laughs) You can tell there's been some deep uh, reflection and meditation on this, because he cites Matthew 15, where it says that Jesus went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, obviously, that is a sure proof text for targeting white upper middle income yuppies in southern uh, Orange County, obviously, right? And Paul targeted the Gentiles, didn't he? While Peter targeted the Jews. And there are four different gospels in the Bible, he says, each written with a specific target audience. I mean, this stuff is so wacky. Well, the thing that's the problem is that he's not... How superficial can you be in your reasoning? And he's not even dealing with the fact that you're looking at redemptive historical epochs. You are looking at people who were given specific calls by God to do certain things. He's coming misunderstanding Understanding well, where well, we let's, are. Let's hold on. Let's think about the Israelites that were being preached to and the Gentiles. Is it did uh, Paul go around and say, "Well, I'm targeting the Gentiles, but I won't target the Gentiles. I'll just I'll only target the Gentiles between ages 40 and 50 <laughs> who are carpenters, and then I'll target and maybe Jesus only run around to the Jews who were under say 17 years of age. You can't make a correspondence between Jews or Gentiles and a particular socioeconomic group right. that happens and, and, to and be Peter the majority targeted, in Orange County. Peter targeted the upper uh, middle income wealthy merchant class on the west side of Jerusalem. And How silly can you get? But the conclusion of all this is, he says, targeting your audience then for evangelism is a method God invented. Well, also, what he's calling targeting is completely wrong in that you're dealing with people who lived as groups in particular areas. And so when Paul says, I'm going to the Gentiles, he's saying, I'm going to that quarter of the city in which no Jews dwell. And when Peter says, I'm going to the Jews, he's saying, I'm remaining in Palestine and I am serving those who live in this area. I mean, there's a big difference between targeting and saying, okay, I'm going to go to this house and not this one versus I'm going to that city versus staying in this one. You know, he talks about you've got to meet their needs or you've got to say something that they'll listen to in order to bring them into the church. Unbelievers won't respond to statements that advertise the church like the following, you know, he's seeing that we preach the inerrant word of God. He says an unbeliever will look at that and nobody will come to church. Well, you know what? We know that because unbelievers hate God. Here's the point. We believe that the Spirit, by His power, will bring people into the church to hear the preaching of the Word, and He will work according to His sovereign will to save people. We don't need to cater to an unbelieving world. He's telling us to cater what we do as a church yeah, but let me to test, the unbelieving world. Let me world. test that for me because I'm not exactly sure I agree with that 100%. How do you know unbelievers aren't out there saying, you know what, I know I need something? They may not identify it with inerrancy, but how many unbelievers out there are saying they realize that their whole worldview and their system of looking at, at reality is entirely collapsed, it's bankrupt, they're searching for truth? My life is falling apart. God may be working according to his providence in these ways. We don't need to try all these techniques to get them in. But see, the difference is that when you've got the Apostle Paul going, he goes to where people who are debating and inquiring are. There's a big difference between that versus what's being proposed here, which is create a market niche. Not go and fulfill a need that is out there. Go and find those who are hurting and explain to them there is an alternative compared to the worldviews. What you're doing is saying, how do I fill this building? What market niche can I create that will draw people in? Do they want sports? Do they want happy, clappy singing? Do they want whatever? You're selling that product rather than 
providing the gospel or preaching the gospel as God has commanded. Well, you continue to hear these things. You just want to sigh out loud, very loudly, because it's absolutely amazing that this kind of philosophy is so popular, and it's selling millions and millions of books, translated into 20 different languages. And at the end of the day, what you get is this really simplistic, superficial, watered-down marketing strategy which says, here are the things that are really going to attract uh, people to your church. After you uh, targeted the people who like vitamin D fortified milk, here is the practical application of that. Reserve the best parking spots for visitors. Station greeters outside your building. Begin each service with people greeting each other. If you use name tags, make sure everybody gets one. Set up a refreshment table. Brighten the light. Come on. Well, but then listen How to can the you justific- sell millions of copies? But listen to the justification for that. Jesus fed the people, didn't he? So all we're doing is feeding the people. See how intellectually base this kind of thinking is. Well, the reason this is selling so well is because it helps you to avoid Avoid what the scripture says. The scripture speaks of the fact that the gospel is going to be offensive. It's going to be divisive. It's going to cause people to hate you. And if you can get away from dealing with the gospel and still have something that you can call a church and so you can ease your conscience, that's what you want. So when you get advice about parking spots and greeters and name tags, that's good. You don't have to deal with the gospel, but you can still get something and put a church label on it. Your conscience is appeased. Life goes on, well, until the judgment day. And we'll prove this to you further by talking talking about the purpose-driven church and its system of worship. You'll see how it's market-driven appealing to the unbelieving culture when we come back. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m., Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Welcome back to Sinners and Saints. We're talking about the Purpose Driven Church, and we are going to further prove to you that they grow because they market to an unbelieving culture. The, The classic example of this in their system is their view of worship and how they design their worship services and the singing that goes on in those services. Yeah, let me just read a little nugget for you here uh, out of the Purpose Driven Church about how they design a seeker service, and it's designed around this little acronym called IMPACT. I, inspire a movement. What you want to do is make sure the opening song causes the people to tap their toes. And then it goes on to P, praise, make joyful songs. A, adoration. We move to a more meditative, intimate song. And then you slow the pace. C, commitment. This song gives people an opportunity to infirm or reaffirm a commitment to God. It's usually a first-person singular song like, I want to be more like you, God. And then T, you tie it all together. This is a sort of upbeat kind of a song. I got two words for you. Emotional manipulation. And three letters for you. M T. V. This is pure marketing strategy. It has nothing to do with a biblical or doctrinal basis for worship. In fact, when you go to Saddleback Church, you go on their website, they invite you to one of five styles of services. Saddleback Praise is our venue for those who prefer to spend a little longer singing songs and features the Saddleback Gospel Choir. Praise meets in tent three. Unplugged 
is our venue for those who are looking for a relaxed environment and a smaller setting. In this venue, you'll find a couple of vocalists along with a simple guitar accompaniment. Unplugged meets in the plaza room. And then there's the main service, the Saturday single service, and, of course, the Saddleback Passion service. Join us for a time of expressive worship and heartfelt praise. Anything you want... You can find here, MTV Culture. Well, what's really remarkable here is that we're basically winding up with at least five gods, I think, in all this. Because there's the god that created men to just sing and sing and sing and sing until they're numb. And then the god who created some men who just, you know, want one song, but then they want to get right down to the teaching. You're catering to people in such a manner that you're saying your desires or your wants are ultimate. And so we will do whatever it takes to make you happy rather than saying God intends to be worshipped in a service. That's why we call it worship services. And therefore, we're going to do this as God directs, and you will conform your desires to it. The historic Protestant church has said, how should we worship? By saying that the scripture tells us how we should worship. And it gives principles of worship that we ought to follow. The historic church has not said, well, let's start with what will appeal to the most people that we know. And that's just betraying a fundamental principle of the Christian faith. Well, not only that, if you look through the New Testament, you look through the whole Word of God, where in the world did singing in worship come to this so prominent position as if I cannot reach Joe Blow down the street or MTV Generation Jack because I don't have the right kind of music? Where is the Word of God in all this? Where is the centrality and the emphasis on preaching? But instead, what he does, instead of defining the church as the Word of God does, he says, here is how the church is defined. He says, music is what defines you. I'm sorry, I thought it was the preaching of the Word of God. Yeah, music is the primary, this is another quote, the primary communicator of values to the younger generation. If we don't use contemporary music to spread godly values, Satan will have unchallenged access to an entire generation. Well, what about what Paul says? which is the preaching of the word is what will give life to these people, these lost people in the lost world. You don't go become like them in order to supposedly save them. You preach to them a different message than they have heard. Or baptize their own language with some Jesus words and and some syrupy sentimentalism and now somehow suppose that I've connected with them and connected them to God with their own bankrupt little culture. You know what that does is it trivializes the faith. It actually inoculates people to the true God who has revealed himself in his word. You just said that, baptizing the things in the culture with Christian names. I remember being taught a song in high school. It was based on the the tune and the lyrics to uh, Do the Local Motion. And the, the song was Do Your Daily Devotions. So they rewrote the song, and we used to sing this. No, I'm not kidding you. And they drilled it into our heads. And nobody in the leadership seemed to view this as a problem, but this was a way to stimulate my spirituality. In the old days, at least, we had the dignity of using swords. We put it to the person's throat, and we told them, you will now take your paganism and bring it into the church with us, but we're going to baptize it, and then we'll call you a Christian, and you can keep doing all your pagan things, whether it's praying to a mother deity, whether it is having your Easter or summer solstice things, we'll let you keep all of them. Just make sure that you do it under the name of Jesus. And this is unfortunately what we're doing now. It's sure it's a little more civilized, not quite as brutal, but really we're telling people, bring your full pagan thinking into the church and we'll put Christian words into your pagan thinking and hopefully everybody will be happy. Now look, we're not opposed to using a variety of, say, instruments in the worship service. We don't think any one instrument has been given by God for church singing. But the point here is that if we're blatantly and obviously 
singing in the church in a way that is following the unbelieving world, and there's a problem there. A red flag should go up that we're more interested in pleasing the unbelieving world than we are in pleasing God who we're supposedly worshiping. Yeah, basically, it's trying to say that the key to connecting with our generation is style, not substance. And that's the whole problem that I have with this approach. I mean, you, you bring out some correct things here in, in defense of him, but, but the point of it is is that he is placing everything on the shoulders of style and saying, okay, well, if that's what we need to do, well, let's just do it. Whether, rather than thinking about principles, what is the purpose of music? Is the, princip- is the reason why we have music in our worship services to please the seeker? Or is it for God? Yeah, and are we singing the songbook that God has inspired? The question's not even addressed in any of this. No, you don't hear anything about the Psalms. And these are the debates in the Christian church over the centuries about how to worship God properly. You hear none of that in this this discussion. When we come back to Sinners and Saints, we're going to hit one more main problem that we have with the purpose-driven church, and that is this idea that every member in the church has to become active in the ministry. Back in a minute. Reformation Radio. Theology with an edge. Come to worship God at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Hear the gospel faithfully preached. Rejoice in the God of your salvation. Come and join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and Sunday evenings at 6 p.m. We are located at 226 West Colorado in Arcadia off the Santanita exit of the 210 freeway. Call us at 866-99-UNITED or visit us at urcsocal.org. Back on Sinners and Saints, evaluating the purpose-driven church. Here's an explanation of the purpose-driven church. It organizes around a purpose-driven structure, which ensures balance and gives equal emphasis to all five New Testament purposes. Purpose-driven churches are team-based rather than hierarchical in structure. They organize around purpose-based teams, composed of lay leaders and staff, with each team responsible for a specific purpose and target group. Yeah, well, in other words, what he is saying, and he even says this in his book, and I, I couldn't believe it. He says that the, quote, active member in most churches today means the one who attends regularly and financially supports the church. Now, somehow, that is sub-Christian. That's sub-par in terms of church membership. You've got to be doing more than coming and sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. You've got to be doing more than fulfilling what the Bible says is your obligation. Now we have to actually plug you in. That's right. He says... Otherwise, you're not real. You're not genuine. The greatest need in evangelical churches is the release of members for ministry. This is what he sees as the solution to the deadness of churches today. We dream, they say, of a network of 1,000 small groups within our church, which of course would take leaders. We dream of a faculty of 250 gifted lay teachers equipped with vision, character, knowledge, and expertise to feed our flock. We dream of an age of appropriate life development processes. I dream of a time in which we will actually know who our teachers are and we know what they're teaching. The problem is that you've got all these guys out there who are teaching the small groups and there are so many nuances and subtleties with the heresies out there and they're probably propagating most of them. I dream of a time when the Christian culture will stop treating the Bible like the TV guide, as if you could just open it and understand everything. And if you have a little bit of knowledge, now you're qualified to teach and tell people what it says. Well, that's just it. I dream of a time in which Christians actually, and the church actually went out back to the Bible and said, what does God say? What does God require in all this? And you know what? If you go back to the New Testament, you're going to stumble over this. You cannot possibly miss it. Christ instituted an office in the church, minister of the word. He teaches. 
and you've got the elders who back him and they help train the people up. And then you have deacons who provide for the material care of those who are poor or weak and in need. But otherwise, the majority of the church, their duty is to grow in their sanctification, to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. You know, I'll tell you exactly what they need to do. They need to do what he says they shouldn't, and that is go sit under the preaching of the Word of God so that they grow spiritually, so that they are prepared to do good works. Eliminate the concept of lay ministry. God didn't call you to that. He called you to a life of good works, and we shouldn't be ashamed to say that. The Bible does. Yeah, programs, programs, programs. They all substitute for genuine biblical piety. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4.10. We urge you, brothers, to excel excel still more and to make it your ambition to what? Lead four small groups, be out at church five nights a week and neglect your family? No. Lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. The problem is we have this whole young, upper-middle-income, white-collar class of evangelical Christians who are at church five nights a week and who are involved in all of this ministry. But they've neglected their vocation and calling that they have to be good husbands, good wives, to be children who are studying, to grow. And so what they've done is they've intruded on the office of minister, which they're not trained to do, and they've ignored what they ought to be doing and where God would bless them and cause them to grow. So what we need to do is go back and understand what the church is to actually be under the word with the sacrament and discipline, and then the people to understand their vocation, their calling, as was read from 1 Thessalonians 4, to go and do that which they ought to do in the world. Let me tell you what, you're not going to be able to accomplish this unless you're in a church that helps you understand it. We got a pastor of a church in Torrance, Pastor Greg Biro. He's with us tonight. Greg, we're glad you can make it down tonight. Hey, we want to ask you, you know, tell us where your church is. People are looking for you out in the South Bay. Where can they find you? Thanks a lot, Adam. It's good to be here. We're located in Torrance, which is convenient to most of the freeways, the 110, the 405 freeway. And we're here to uh, serve the uh, general South Bay. Any people from the communities of Palos Verdes Peninsula, Hawthorne, Gardena, uh, those are all very convenient to where our church is located. Did you give us a phone number yeah. to get you? Sure. Our phone number is area code 310-782-7019. Now, Greg, what should people expect when they visit your church? Is it purpose-driven? <laughs> well, we're not purpose-driven other than in the respect that our purpose is to glorify God and His Son, of course. And uh, we're trying to uh, maintain the traditions and the doctrines of the Reformed community. And so if a person was to visit our church on a Lord's Day worship service, what they would find is the centrality of God's Word being preached in an expositional fashion. Furthermore, we weekly administer the Lord's table. And our church has been committed to learning to sing the Psalms of David. So those are the kinds of things that someone who is interested in a Reformed church could find at our church. Now, Greg, I think it might be interesting. Some of our listeners, uh, like myself and like yourself, we didn't grow up Reformed, and even through our early Christian years, we're not in Reformed churches. Can you tell us a little bit about the background of, oh, I don't know, your church? Because it didn't open many years ago with you as the pastor there as a Reformed church, right? Mm -hmm. That was a process? Correct. Our church is a young church, Adam. We've been in existence for about five years. And one of the things that we wanted to do when we started our church was to have a commitment to the Reformed tradition, as well as being part of a Reformed denomination. And so we've come out of, the members of our church have basically come from various and sundry different 
religious backgrounds, evangelical, charismatic, Roman Catholic, Pentecostal, Methodist, Baptist, and so forth and so on. So we're learning as a young church what it means to be reformed and doing our very best to maintain faithfulness to that tradition and doctrine. Now, Greg, I mean, that all sounds good. What about the kids? Mm -hmm. I got a family. What are (laughs) are you going to do with my children? One of the things we believe in is having children worship in the worship service with their parents. This exposes the children to the repetition of the Apostles' Creed and and having them observe us uh, singing our psalms together. And we believe very strongly that they, in fact, contribute to the fellowship and to the ministry there. And so we believe that the children play an important role. Jesus himself said, suffer not the little children, but let them come unto me. And so we want them to be a part of our covenant community, and they've provided to be a real blessing. Now, that's not to say that there's times where they're not somewhat disruptive and can be rascals in the worship service, but we as adults are willing to put up with that so as to be able to have them exposed to the gospel teaching, to the various ministries that we provide, and as I've mentioned, learning, having them learn how to interact with the, the adults in our church. All right, Greg, thanks again for coming out. We appreciate you making time to be with us. And and look, we're giving you an example of uh, the kind of outreach that is appropriate. Come to church. We gave you one in the South Bay. You can call 866-99-UNITED to find another local church. Please do call us because a biblically ordered church ought to be the center of your piety. We'll see you next time, sinners and saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints Theology with an edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.